This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this throwback kind of day. Not a throw-up kind of day. No, throwback means we go back in time. That's because it is a Thursday, and right next to me is my master of throwing back. Kimmy, I got one name. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. You weigh 163 pounds. You are a very stupid fellow and not likely to succeed. Well, right on all those points, but Kimmy is none of that. She is something else. She's always doing something new. She will do something new on this episode. We guarantee it. She does it every day. That's right. Brand new show every single day of the Riley and Kimmy show. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. And how are you on this throwback? Awesome. Yeah, you love Throwback Thursday, don't you? I do. Thursday is such a crazy day. Thursday has its own peculiar way. Oh, a throwback Thursday kind of song right there. Kimmy, my question for you is if we had an actual time machine in the studios or maybe out in the garage or in the driveway, where would you go if you could go back in time for a throwback Thursday? Where? What Would you watch something, try to prevent something? Would you try to relive something? Wow. Well, I haven't given it that much thought. Well, what comes to mind instantly? Come on. Instantly. Um, hmm. Going back in time. Going back in time. Anything. 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 And, and you're not limited like Sam Beckett was on Quantum Leap. He could only go back for the duration of his lifespan although they did an adjustment towards the final season with that, anytime. You can go anywhere, sort of like uh, Dr. Brown did. Doc Brown did with uh, Back to the Future, or sort of like Mr. Peabody does with the time machine. Hmm, can I bring myself information from the future? Oh, why not? You can corrupt the, to you can totally and, corrupt and, the timeline. And, like, cheat? You can corrupt the timeline. What would like you do? Lottery ticket numbers and stuff? Is that what you would try to do? <laughs> let me get this right here. You would try to do a Marty McFly kind of thing where mm. he grabs the, what, the baseball stats mm -hmm. from the future and takes it back to himself and that, well, takes it back to a relative and thing. Yeah, and, yeah. maybe. You would actually do uh, that one. Maybe. Well, he mm -hmm. doesn't actually take it back. Biff does. That's true. Biff gets it. Yeah. That yeah. Biff. Yeah. So that's what you would try to do. Go back with lottery numbers Perhaps. or something like that. Perhaps. There's Kimmy's throwback Thursday memory moment. What she would do if she had a time machine. And you don't have to have a time machine to go back in time. Because the Riley and Kimmy show takes you back in time every single episode. We guarantee it. Especially by focusing on something called the golden age of radio. Now you may not have grown up during the golden age of radio. Or perhaps you did and you would like to have some fond memories come back. We do that, but we also do old-time radio to focus on a forgotten genre that influenced film, television, and even comic books. Great pop culture, fantastic performances, 
I like to call it ear candy, the theater of the mind. We focus on that every single episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. So tell your friends you found a different spot on the dial. That's right, something brand new every single day, pop culture escapism. Please help the show grow by following us on social media. Tell your friends about it, share with them, have them like our pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Archived episodes available all the way back to number one on our website. Pop culture interviews with celebrities and more. And we also have the platforms available for you to take us anywhere, listen any time of day or night, like on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and SoundCloud on our website. What's our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com Find archived podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com Pop Culture Escapism The Riley and Kimmy Show The Riley and Kimmy Show Shall we play a game? That is the big question on Throwback Thursday Does Kimmy want to go back in time? Challenge your brain cells with some pop culture trivia What say you, Kimmy? Well, yeah I need to point out the timeline has been adjusted It is corrupted It's not in linear or chronological order It's all scrambled up yeah, sort of like I am, or like scrambled eggs. Kimmy likes that. Mmm, scrambled eggs. Well, we're recording before the hour sunrise, so Kimmy's uh, thinking breakfast now. I hope you can stay focused, though, Kimmy. Bacon. Uh, yeah, stay focused here. Help Kimmy out with answers. She believes in time travel answers. That means you, who are in her future, and she's in your past, can communicate. Yeah, a temporal communication thing opens up. I think it's crazy. She says it works. Who knows? Well, let's see. Help her out. Yell at, shout at, whisper to whatever computing device you have the Riley and Kimmy show playing on right now. It could be anything because we are mobile. We are global. Your very first question, Kimmy, is in the world of television. We're looking for the year within five years that this TV show premieres on MTV. Identify the show first and then tell us the year within five years it was first seen. (laughs) Let's fry something. Yeah, check it out. Cool. Fire, 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 fire. Feel feel like I'm wrong, Kimmy there. Uh, Kimmy, can you tell me the name of the TV show? Beavis and Butthead. Yes. What year did it premiere on MTV? 1992? You get it? It was 1993 that that happened. It was on this date. The first stock car race is held in Daytona Beach, Florida. That's kind of important to you, Kimmy, because the Riley and Kimmy Show studios are very close to Daytona Beach, Florida. My question for you is, what decade did that happen? Um, the first one? Yeah, the first stock car race. 1950s? 1936 is when the first one happened. Moving to a category you like, and that is dogs. <coughs> was on this date, a dog license law was enacted the very first place in the United States. It happened to be in New York, Kimmy, where it happened. What year did this happen, Kimmy? Within 20 years, the first dog license. Hmm. 1934? You're off a little bit, Kimmy. It was 1894. First dog license happened. 
It was on this date, 1930, this baseball player signs a two-year contract for $160,000 for the New York Yankees. The GM at the time predicts no one will ever be paid more than this person. Who is that person? What year was that? 1930. 1930. Um, Babe Ruth? That's correct. The year is 1959. This person, along with Chico and Harpo, make their final TV appearance together. Here's your audio clue. Who is he? Who is it? They are known as something. It's blank, Chico, and Harpo. Well, here I am, stepping in over my head again. Folks, this is just as new to me as it is to you. I've never done one of these shows before, but we've got several couples up here on the stage, a lot of people in the seats out front, and the doors are locked. So I've got to go through with it. Who is it, Kimmy? Groucho Marx. All right. And Chico and Harpo with him are known as... The Marx Brothers. And correct. Their final performance on television this date, 1959. The year is 1964. This group makes their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. Who is it? I'm feeling glad Who is it, Kimmy? Ooh. They performed that song. I don't know. See, you never listened to those oldie stations I worked at over the course of time. Never. Sure I did. No, you didn't. That's the Dave Clark Five. Here's 1964. This single is released. Tell me who the recording group is. Is it, Kimmy? The Beach Boys. Years 1970. This person opens her first outing as a solo performer. Sure she performed this one. 1970. It was number one on the charts. Tell me who it is. One of these old Who is it, Kimmy? Diana Ross. Correct. In the year is 1974. This group gave their debut performance in England. Who is it? And baby, I want you. You give me something I need. Kimmy, can you tell me the name of the band? Bad Company. You hard rocker, you. You metalhead. Moving to 1980, the sixth People's Choice Awards happens. It's honoring the best in popular culture for 1979. Favorite all-around male entertainer is whom? You want to see agitated? I can be aggravated, infuriated, frustrated, vexated, and irritated. Who is it? Alan Alda. Correct. Favorite motion picture actress. Who would it be 1980? Hmm. Hmm. No clue. I have one in reserve here. Um, 1980. Shout it out to Kimmy. Whisper it to her. I uh, don't know. Here's your clue. Was Jack O'Dell emotionally disturbed? Was he a disturbed man? Did he have reason tonight to be disturbed? I don't know. Mr. Gibson said he was drinking. Is it true? How do you account for his behavior tonight? What did he say to you, Mr. Spindler? I gave up long ago the, the belief that movies were to be used as propaganda. 
first and foremost, a movie has to be entertaining. It has to take you on an emotional trip. It has to take your heart and your mind and bring you out of yourself somewhere else. If on top of that, it'll also make you think, then that's greatness. Can you tell me who that is? Jane Fonda. Correct. You know what she's talking about right there is almost impossible now in theaters the way people talk. I can't be taken away. Right. I, I know. Mean, what she was saying there, I, that's, you know, I have to wait till it comes, well, till it's streamed. Yep. Yeah. All right. Moving back to trivia. 1986 People Choice Awards happening for items of the 1979 pop culture experience. Tell me the favorite TV dramatic program. Um, Dallas? Kimmy's on a roll. Favorite young TV performer. What you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, Kimberly? What you talking about, Dad? What you talking about, Willis? Who is that, Kimmy? Gary Coleman. Yes. Favorite male performer in a new TV program. Now, we have audio from an old TV program he's known for. Tell me who it is. Noah, feeding the pigeons is a tremendous turn-on. But if it's all the same to you, I promised my parole officer a fast set of tennis. You're not supposed to play with your parole officer. It's your fault. You always assign the most muscular girls in the SIA. Strictly to keep up appearances. We want you to look like a big-time playboy, so we provide you with convincing play toys. Tennis is an ideal image. Rich, healthy, and harmless. Kimmy, can you tell me who it is? Robert Wagner. Correct. Favorite new TV dramatic program. Identify it. Its opening has been adjusted. A name has been removed. See if you can tell me the name of the show. This is my boss, a self-made millionaire. He's quite a guy. This is Mrs. H. She's gorgeous. She's one lady who knows how to take care of herself. By the way, my name is Max. I take care of both of them, which ain't easy. Because when they met, it was murder. Can you identify the favorite new TV dramatic program for the People's Choice Awards? Heart to Heart. Correct. And who was the male star? Robert Wagner? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, Robert Wagner. That's why we use the audio of uh, It Takes a Thief. Mm. Yeah. Favorite young motion picture actress, Kimmy? Any clue who that would be? Um, no. Well, she was known for a certain TV show, Kimmy. Here's her winning an award, an Emmy, 1979, year before. Tell me who it is. I really was not expecting this, I swear. But Jimmy would say now I have bookends, so show too. I'd like to thank Seda Thompson, Jim Broderick, Meredith Baxter Burney, Gary Frank, Quinn Cummings, and Nigel and Carol McKean, and our new producer who's very young and fun, Ed Zwick. Thank you very much. Can you tell me who it is? Christy McNichol. And what TV show was she known for? Family. family. Kimmy would know that one. And Christy McNichol, by the way, at that time period for film was making $1.5 million a picture. 
mm. which is very, very good at, at that time period. Uh-huh. The year is 1986. This person is the first tennis player to earn $10 million. Who is it? Um, 1986. Ooh, um, hmm, Chris Evert? No, it is a female. Tracy Austin? No, Martina Navratilova is who it was. The year is 1987. This recording artist ends a tour that he claims would be his last. It was not his last tour. Who was it? Working on a night move. Trying to make some front page driving news. Working on a night move. Who was it, Kimmy? Bob Seeger. Correct. And the Silver Bullet Band. The year's 1987. This TV show airs for the last time, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the TV show. What is the name of that TV show? A-Team. Correct. What network aired it originally? Um, NBC. Correct. How many years was it on? Was it on for two, four, six, or eight years? Six. It was on for four years, a total of 98 episodes. The year's 1996. This movie is released, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the film. Here's your audio clue. Well, how did they establish that, sir? I mean, are the cars counted daily, or what kind of a routine here? Ma'am, I answered your question. I'm sorry, sir. Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here. And there, uh, there's no... Uh... Sir, you have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. I'm working with you on this thing here, but... Okay. I'll do a damn luck count. Sir, right now? Yeah, right now. You're darn tootin'. Can you tell me the name of that movie, Kimmy? 1996. Fargo? You're right, Kimmy. Who was the male star there talking? Um, I can't think of his name. William H. Macy. <laughs> Celebrity and notable birthdays. This person born 1921. Known for this TV show, Kimmy. Gilligan's Island. Yeah, that's right. Gilligan's Island, born 1921. This individual appeared in more than 200 films and television shows. That's over 200. Tell me who it is. Here's your clue. Gilligan! Gilligan, we don't need another one of your ideas. We're in enough trouble now. That's a great idea, Gilligan. A dumb one. But, Professor, when you put on a stage show, you've got to have rehearsals. H.H. has been running our legs off all day long. Oh, you're really something at night. Who is it? Alan Hale? Yes, Alan Hale Jr., born 1921, died 1990 at the age of 68. Next person, actress, stage and film, Kimmy, and also did commercials. Born on this date, 1943, see if you can identify who it is. There's lasagna with ricotta, which I really love a lot of. Pizza with pepperoni, mozzarella, no bologna. A gorgeous thing, creamy chicken a la king 
Weight Watchers has 23 entrees. That's more deliciousness than anybody else. 23, including chicken sweet and sour, southern fried or cacciatore, spaghetti, ravioli, and the ziti macaron. This filet or fish or gratin. Oh, now what have I forgotten? Weight Watchers. This is living. Showing off her skills there with a commercial way back when. Can you tell me who that is? Julie Andrews? No, Kimmy, here's another clue. Her winning the Golden Globe Award back in 1999. Thank you very much indeed. It's, um, I'm a little overwhelmed because it's just 32 years since I stood one of these on a mantelpiece and it's been calling for a friend ever since. And <laughs> just so very, very glad to have it here. I became an actor because I wanted the thrill of turning into other people as completely as I could. And I would like you all of those of you who have seen Gods and Monsters to know that that is the real me and this is digital. Who is it, Kimmy? I don't know. Lynn Redgrave, born on this date, 1943, died 2010 at the age of 67. Next person, known for this group, Kimmy. He was vocalist and drummer. Tell me the name of the group. Take the last train of Foxville and I'll meet you at the station. The monkeys. Mickey Dolan's having a birthday. He is 73 today. Kimmy, this next person, identify who it is. Singer. Had a hit in 1980, which might surprise people, did not hit number one. It was number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. Tell me who's having a birthday. Who is it? Gary Newman. Yes, celebrating his 60th birthday today. Next person, news anchor Kimmy. Identify who it is and tell me how old he is within five years. The circumstances of how I became nightly anchor were, were very, things happened very rapidly and suddenly I found myself in this position. And I think it was, it was, it was kind of a delayed reaction to understand kind of the importance that people have always held these, you know, three, you know, evening news anchor positions at a pretty high place. And I, you know, I was still going through this, like, you sure you got the right guy? This wasn't a mistake. Um, so there was a, a lot of adjustment. But then in further reflection and people asked me about it, I thought, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Who is it? Is that Lester Holt? That is Lester. How old is he today? Within five years. Uh, 56. He's 59 today. Next person, actor Freddie Prinze Jr. celebrating a birthday. How old is he today? 35. He's 42. I see dead people. Celebrity and notable deaths. Famous people who passed away on this date. Kimmy, you tell me why this person is on that list. 1874, dying at the age of 74, was Millard Fillmore. Why is he on the list? He was a president. That is correct. Was he a president in the 19th or 20th century? 19th. Correct. 13th president of the United States from 1850 to 1853. Going to impossible movie trivia for Kimmy. This person passed away in 1971, Kimmy, at the age of 77. He ranks alongside Charles Chaplin and Buster Keaton. He was one of the most popular and influential film comedians of the silent film era. He made nearly 200 comedy films, both silents and some talkies. He did this between 1914 and 1947. Now he's best known for wearing these big Harry Potter kind of glasses and doing 
extremely bizarre stunts without CGI, without stunt doubles, hanging from clocks and all kinds of bizarre things, crawling up the side of buildings. Who was it? Ernie Kovac? No, Kimmy. This person a little bit before his time. It was Harold Lloyd. Okay. You, you know the name, correct? Uh-huh. 1977, Henry Hall, actor, dies at the age of 86. He is part of Universal Horror Film History. He was the first person to portray a werewolf for Universal Horror Films back in 1935, Werewolf of London. When my experiments are completed, I will show their results to the entire world. Not before. You brought this on me that night in Tibet. Lock me in, Timothy. Pardon, sir? Lock me in. Don't open that door before sunrise. Even if I call, pay no attention to it. Keep that door locked till dawn. Henry Hall, you recognize him, Kimmy, the movie Werewolf of London. Not played a lot on the creature features, occasionally on Svengulian, and it has over the course of time, but it's not one thought of it being a werewolf movie, and it is Jack Pierce, who did the Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr.'s makeup, did this work as well. He had to cut back his concept because the actor didn't want all this makeup on him at the time. The actor's very powerful, pulls it off without a lot of makeup. He is quite sinister. It's worth checking out. That is Werewolf of London. The year is 1985. Edward Andrews passes away, an American actor. He dies of a heart attack at the age of 70. He is one of the most recognizable character actors that has ever been on television and in films. Very popular in the 1950s through the 1980s. You recognize him. You know him, Kimmy. He had premature, stark white hair. Looked a lot older than what he was. Always or usually wore these thick, horned-rimmed glasses. Generally played a nasty guy. He was in multiple Twilight Zone episodes. One that comes to mind might have inspired Stephen King a little bit. Because it was about a car that comes alive and torments him. It's called You Drive. What are you trying to do? Well, what are you talking about? I thought you said the car was in the repair shop. Well, it was. What's it doing here? <laughs> Will you please explain to me how did it get here? They didn't deliver it? Well, it didn't drive itself home. Wait a minute, don't, don't answer that. Well, why not? Holly, what on earth is frightening you? Nothing, nothing. I just don't feel like seeing anybody, that's all. I don't know what it is, but if you don't get over these heebie-jeebies, I'm going to call a doctor. Fantastic episode, Twilight Zone. He was also in Thriller, a couple of Thriller, the Boris Karloff Thriller episodes, one called A Good Imagination. Oh, good afternoon, sir. Is there something I can do for you? Yes, there is. Do you have a book called The Insider? Ooh, that would be O.P. O.P.? Out of print. I uh, don't have a copy on hand. I could probably locate one for you. See, The Insider and Others. That's by J.P. Morgenstern, Klein Press, 1939. That's rather a rare item. Yes, I can't find it anywhere in town. Oh, you collect Morgenstern, eh? That's right. <laughs> then you'll probably agree that The Insiders is the best novel he ever wrote. Oh, no doubt about that. Oh, I have a doubt. What do you mean? The Insiders is not a novel. It's a short story. Yeah, sure. Slipped my mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's just a fantasy. Like you're pretending to be a customer. What is your business here? Private investigator. Private investigator. He could play sinister 
quite well. Sleazy, slimy. Another episode of Thriller to check out. He plays a, well, a person plotting murder, planning on killing his wife. It's called A Third for Pinochle from 1961. Um, I, I, I was just going down to the workroom, my dear. I've got a bit of puttering to attend to. Maynard, answer the door. Yes, my dear. Yes. A Nelson's Tree Nursery. COD, $4.98. Tree Nursery? Maynard Thisman? Tincture of cyanide. Maynard, did you order cyanide? Yes, I, I did. Uh, for, for the weeds, my dear. However, I have changed my mind some other time. Huh? We don't want it, young man. Don't you think that was a useless extravagance, Maynard? You can always pull weeds up by hand. Oh, there's always a stubborn one. Got to kill them. With cyanide? But cyanide's a very bad poison, Maynard. Uh, yes, I know. Well, it's good and bad. Depends on who gets it. It's a very odd side to your nature, Maynard, that always surprises me. You make jokes. <laughs> Many a truth is spoken in jest, my dear. Oh, he speaks truth there. In 1985, he passed away. That's Edward Andrews. If you want to see a fantastic uh, movie where he plays actually the killer, and he is he is creepy. It's the unguarded moment from 1956. Next person, known for game shows, Kimmy. She was an American actress, comedian, but she appeared on a lot of shows like Match Game and To Tell the Truth. She passed away in 1999 at the age of 74. Tell me who it is. Number three, what's so special about the speech of somebody, say, for instance, from Hamtrank? Number two, what color is the New York Social Register? Whee! Look who's a fairy godmother! Me! Okay, fellas, let me down. Easy! I'm here on behalf of uh, Crest Toothpaste and Head and Shoulders Shampoo to tell you about the Cinderella sweepstakes. More than a thousand prizes. You might win a two-week trip to Europe, all expenses paid for you and four members of your family. You'll stay in romantic castles and inns, travel by private car, have a spending spree with $2,000 cash. So be sure to enter the Cinderella sweepstakes. Nothing to buy, nothing to it. Just look for this display at the store where you buy crests. And head and shoulders. You'll find entry blanks, complete details, and a list of all prizes. Everything you need to enter. Do it now! Can you tell me who that is, Kimmy? Oh, I'm not sure about that. It's Peggy Cass. Remember her at all with the game shows? Yeah, she passed away on the stage in 1999 at the age of 74. Staying in 1999, this person, baseball player, dies at the age of 84, Kimmy. Tell me who it is. For the special people on your gift list, giving Mr. Coffee is the delicious way to say Merry Christmas. Everyone would love to have Mr. Coffee. It's America's number one coffee maker. Mr. Coffee with Coffee Saver brews delicious coffee fast, and it saves coffee, too. When you give Mr. Coffee for Christmas, every delicious cup will be a reminder of your thoughtfulness for years to come. This Christmas, give Mr. Coffee. Who is it, Kimmy? Joe DiMaggio. Guarded baseball's famous streak that's got us all aglow. He's just a man and not a free. Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Joe, Joe DiMaggio. We 
Brown did a tribute to him. That song was extremely popular. Joe DiMaggio passed away on the state in 1999. And for, well, a tribute in honor of Joe DiMaggio, the Riley and Kimmy Show has a very rare old-time radio show, an old-time recording, the Joe DiMaggio Show. It's on our website right now. Joe answers questions from fans, seldom played, and not many collections. You can hear it right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com or after our Golden Age of Radio tribute on this episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job with trivia today. All right. We're going to go back in time and honor something we talked about with the Golden Age of Radio. Actor Henry Hall died at the age of 86 in 1977. In honor of him, we're going back to his golden age of radio work. We have an excellent example from 1949. Here's Henry Hall starring in Gulliver's Travels on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Lemuel Gulliver, and this is the journal of my travels about the world. For 16 years I sailed the seas first as surgeon and then as captain of my own vessel. And in that time I have had adventures the like of which few men can dream. And I shall feel the stamp of it for all my days. It all began in the year 1699, when I accepted a berth aboard the vessel Antelope, bound for the South Seas. I shall not trouble you with the particulars of that voyage, but let it suffice to say that in our passage we ran afoul of a tropic storm. The weather being very hazy, we had lookouts posted at every masthead. Then suddenly, through the fog, a voice cut down from aloft. Breakers to port! A rock! A rock a half cable's length! Too late to save her! Stand by to launch the longboat! Aye, sir! All hands to quarters! Jump down! The rock! The good ship Antelope founded almost immediately, and, and we were all consigned to the mercy of the waves. But there was no mercy in that madness. I grasped a floating timber and held on, tossed heavenward by the giant swells, and then dashed down into the roaring seas. What became of my companions, I cannot tell. 
but conclude that they were lost. When I finally struggled to shore, I was in so weak condition that I, I lay down on the sand and fell asleep. Some hours later, I was awakened by a noise like the humming of insects, a silken whispering like grass in the wind. I, I tried to rise, only to find my arms and legs fastened securely to the ground, and the very strands of my hair pegged out in the same manner. That suddenly, I heard a buzzing near my head, a strange, high-pitched, fluttering sound. I could not move my head, but... But as I listened to this tiny buzz, I thought... <laughs> I thought the sun and waves had unhinged my senses. For as I listened closer, more intently... Man Mountain. Man Mountain. Man Mountain. It was true. Man Mountain. There were words. The little insect humming was really words. I, I wrenched my head free and peered down at my chest and saw him. Man Mountain. Listen, Man Mountain. It was... A man. A human creature not six inches high, advancing gently forward upon my breast, and following him a company of fifty of the same kind, armed with bow and arrow. Captain, make sure of the ropes. The man mountain may escape. Company forward. <laughs> Avaster, you rascals, off me. Loose me. Order, steady, men. The man mountain is securely tied. Let me get... Captain... Take two men and explore yon cavern in his head. Here, here now, stay off me. Get out of my nose. Get, get out of my... Get, get... Achoo! Hi, hi. That sneeze sent you sailing. Now, now loose me, do you hear? Untie me. Hear me, Man Mountain. What? Still here? You're <laughs> a strange little creature. Not six inches high, yet as perfectly formed as any man. Hear me, Man Mountain. I am Redrissel, the King's Minister of Private Affairs. I, I shall try to help you. Hi, little man. Help me first by unloosening my hair. It, 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 it pulls most painfully. Oh, first you must see the King. Well, if you'll not unloose me, then you must feed me. I am fair faint with hunger. Well, that is attended to. Yonder on the plain, a herd of cattle approaches, and I've sent to the king's cellar for several hogsheads of wine. Now, be content, Man Mountain, and remember, Redrissel is your friend. And so I came to the land of Lilliput. I was at first strongly tempted to break my bonds and seize up a handful of these tiny men who had dealt so audaciously with my person and diced them to the ground. But, but as I ate, my, uh, my anger abated. In Lilliput, as in my own island, the state of a man's stomach is likely to govern his emotions. I topped off my meal with a hogshead of good wine, and then I, and I fell asleep. Draw you here. 
Why, what's that? Oh, the Emperor. Oh, down on your knees, Man Mountain, quickly. It is the Emperor. A mighty procession turned in the temple gate. Spearmen, bowmen, all no higher than my middle finger. And then, magnificent upon a war horse four inches high... His Imperial Majesty, Grabasto Mamaran, most mighty emperor of Lilliput, delight and terror of the universe, monarch of all monarchs, at whose nod the princes of the earth shake their knees. Hear me, Man Mountain. Your most humble servant, Your Majesty. Whoa! Oh, there! Oh, whoops! Oh, oh perhaps, perhaps I upset your charger, Your Majesty. Uh, shall I lift you up to my ear so that we may converse? Very well, Man Mountain. Up, up, up you come, then. Oh, very well, then. Hear me, Man Mountain. In the name of the Empire, I welcome you to Lilliput. You are to be protected from harm, providing... You shall subscribe to certain articles under the Great Seal. I have no choice, Your Majesty. In the presence of royalty, I am overcome with awe. Of course, of course, of course. Now, Man Mountain, you will please stand with your legs planted wide. Mm -hmm, yes, like, uh, uh, like this, Your Majesty. Precisely. Ah, my father built an arch of triumph seventy grumgoffs tall, but never in the history of Lilliput... Has there been a, a colossus such as you? I am happy to please your majesty. And and now, my army shall parade beneath your arched legs. And I will go down in Lilliputian history. General, start the parade. And so, with horses, 16 abreast, flags flying and bands blaring... The mighty army of Lilliput marched between my feet in the bravest military display ever seen on the island empire. Then the emperor caused the chain to be struck off my ankle, and I was set at liberty. And as a special mark of esteem, I was invited to the most solemn of all court proceedings. With Red Russell, the minister, perched on my shoulder, I sat on the ground and watched the dignified procedures. Watch carefully, Man Mountain. You are to witness the annual performance of the king's ministers. See? All is ready. Oh, what is that thread stretched tight between those tiny poles? It's a royal tightrope. It stands ten glumguffs above the ground of fearsome height. Now watch. The first royal minister is climbing up onto the rope. See? He somersaults, jumps, leaps. Stands on his head. Amazing, amazing. Such skillful tumbling I've never seen in England. Tell me, tell me, how do they acquire such skill? They're trained from their youth. You mean uh, as acrobats? The king's ministers? Why, yes. In Lilliput, when a political office is vacant, the emperor holds a contest, and whoever jumps the highest and does the most difficult feats on the tight rope wins the office. How remarkable. That's Flimnap on the rope now, candidate for office of royal treasurer. Oh, he, he's superb. Oh, oh, what grace, what, what agility. Oh, yes. All the king's ministers are notoriously agile. But is this, uh, is this rope dancing really a true test of a man's qualifications for public office? Uh, perhaps you've 
Doctor, the better test in your country? No. No, on second thought, I fancied not. The ministers of my country must also be expert in dancing the tightrope and cutting agile capers. Perhaps it is more logical to have him tested on a real tightrope. When an English minister falls, he retires wealthy. When a Lilliputian falls from the tightrope, he, uh, <laughs> he breaks his neck. I now began to enjoy my stay among the Lilliputians. Never had I beheld a more entertaining prospect. The country roundabout was a continual flower garden. The towns, like the painted scenes of a city in the theater, surely thought I. In this setting of ideal loveliness, these tiny, doll-like people must have attained a state of happiness and perfection that we, we larger mortals, only dream of. But when I had been among the Lilliputians for only a month, my good friend Redwistle visited me incognito and climbed upon my shoulder to whisper in my ear. Hmm? Oh, come, come, come. Speak louder, Redwistle. Louder. I can't hear you. What matters of state must be whispered, Man Mountain. It would never do to let the people know what is going on. Well, what is going on? We labor under two mighty evils here in Lilliput. The first, a bitter political struggle within our borders. A political struggle? Here, too? For about 70 moons past, there have been two struggling parties among us, the Tramixans and the Slamixans. Well, how do these parties differ politically? Oh, most profoundly. One party adheres to the wearing of high-heeled shoes. Yes. The other favors low heels. Ah, I see. High heels and low heels. Now, His Majesty has been inclined to support the position of lesser heels in his administration. We low heelers are in the minority, but we have the power. The animosity runs so high that the parties will neither eat nor drink with each other. Is there no hope of a compromise? Neither party will yield a fraction. Even the king's son is involved in the conflict. Ah, uh, and, uh, and how does the prince stand? He, he wobbles. Ah, wobbles. On one foot, he wears a high-heeled shoe. On the other, a low. Uh, because of this circumstance, he wobbles from left to right. Well, he sounds like a young man most unusually endowed for political leadership. Oh, yes. But alas, tis his father, not he, that is on the throne. Uh, the country is divided, and to make matters worse, we are at this moment threatened with an invasion from the island of Blefescu. An invasion? Oh, yes. We've been engaged in war with Blefescu for six and thirty moons. It is a long and bloody struggle. But why, why, why? What started your war with Blefescu? Do you recall? It was a most grievous religiousism. It started with an egg. An egg? You see, it is agreed that the primitive and natural way of cracking an egg is upon the larger end. Well, of course, yes. But the present emperor's great-grandfather, however, chanced to cut his hand while opening an egg at the big end. So he issued an edict commanding all of his subjects to break the smaller end of their age. Ah, yes, and this caused unrest. Oh, our people so resented this edict that there have been six rebellious uprisings, wherein one emperor has lost his life and another his crown. But how does this edict of the egg involve you with Blefescu? The monarchs of Blefescu keep fomenting the big Indian heresy. They send spies among us, raising civil strife, and so the war has raged. But... This is serious. Tell me, Redwistle, is there nothing I can do? That is why I am here. 
His Majesty is placing all his hopes in your strength, Man Mountain. I am greatly flattered. Present my humble duty to His Majesty and let him know that I stand ready with my life to defend his state against invaders. Your humble servant, Your Majesty. My spies have informed me that the fleet of Blefuscutian warships waits only the turn of the tide to sail upon us. Man Mountain, you are commanded to exercise your valor and strength to prevent this invasion. Your Majesty, I am at your service. Your puissance has overwhelmed me. Uh, shall I set you back down on the ground? I, I'm sure you must be uncomfortable perched on my finger thus. Very well, Man Mountain. But carry out my command at once. At once. Uh, uh, hold tight, Red Whistle. Hold tight. The water's almost up to my shoulders. Don't slip, Man Mountain. That's the main port of Blefescu ahead. Yeah, there's the fleet, all right. <laughs> Men are war no bigger than toys. Oh, they've seen you, Man Mountain. Oh, look out, they're firing arrows at you. Get behind my collar, Red Whistle. Here, here we are in the middle of the fleet. Uh, we... What now, we, Man Mountain? We, we collect the, the anchor, the anchor cables... And we pull them up. <sighs> now, now we just pull them away. Oh, man, mountain. The whole Blefuscudian fleet. You're stealing it away. The war is won. Lilliput is triumphant. <laughs> hey, I was a hero. The man of the hour. The crowd shouted my name and the emperor caused himself to be lifted by engines and pulleys at the height of my forehead where he kissed my brow after the fashion of the land. Through the streets of the capital, the populace made merry, dancing and singing long into the night. I, I made merry with more hogs of wine than I chose to count. But, alas, I was to learn how fickle is the public mind. Who is it? Who is it? Wait. Wait, wait till I get my spectacles. I... Oh, yeah. Well, uh, what brings you out in the morning, my friend? Wait, wait, wait till I bend down. Now. Now, what is it? An affair of state. I thought everything was settled by now. The ambassadors arrived from Lefescu to make peace, did they not? Let me come closer, Man Mountain. Huh? I must speak for your ear alone. Let down your fingers. Uh, very well, then. Very well, here. Now, up, up. You come. Now then, Man Mountain, uh, I've come under express order from His Majesty. Well, now, what does he want of me now? He commands you to go at once to Blefescu to seize the Blefescudian king and all his royal army and to bring them back to Lilliput for public execution. Well, sounds, man, he can't be serious. You're no longer in any danger from Blefescu. Their fleet is destroyed. Now, why, why not try to live in peace? Oh, my friend, such is not the habit of princes. His Majesty is determined to rule Blefescu. 
And he has other orders for you. What other orders? He has in his possession a list of all people in this kingdom known to be big Indians. He wishes you to seize them and... But this religiousism is not a my affair. Nevertheless, it is his majesty's intention to stamp out the entire race of big Indians... All eggs in Lilliput will be broken at the small end. And if they refuse? They will be exterminated. I understand. Now, uh, now listen carefully, Redwistle. You may return to His Majesty and say to him that I refuse to comply with his orders. You may say to him that I shall never be the instrument for bringing any race of people to death or enslavement. I waited. All day the streets were deathly quiet. From my window I observed a continual stream of ministers with portfolios flowing toward the palace. I waited and I pondered. I saw old Admiral Bolgolam and Limtok, the general of the armies, hurry away to give orders. When night fell, I became more and more uneasy. Then, in the palace courtyard, by the flaring light of torches, a grim procession formed. Listen, loyal citizens of Lilliput. Hear the words of the emperor. Articles of impeachment against Lemuel Gulliver, the Man Mountain, for treason. Sedition, Lay's Majesty, and other capital crimes. Article 1, whereas... Well, Red Russell, I gather you gave the Emperor my message. Man Mountain, you are in grave danger. You must leave Lilliput at once. But why, 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 how so? As you tell his majesty is most angry the king's ministers have voted for your death my death yes however his majesty has ruled against that. well thank heaven it was a fierce debate <sighs> praise heaven then they decided against killing me oh yes it is his intention instead to blind you blind me but why why redwistle tell me why should he do this monstrous thing to me oh was a master stroke of cleverness. Another monarch might have agreed to your execution, but not he. Dead, you would be of no service to him. I, I see. He is. He feels the loss of my sight won't diminish my strength. Exactly. You will still be of service. In fact, greater service. For blind, you cannot be tempted to rebellion. Oh, what diabolical reasoning. What a low, contemptible race is this treacherous tribe of princes. In Europe or in Lilliput, there is no gratitude under a crown. Oh, it would seem so. Was there no voice raised in protest to this monstrous plan? One voice. I am no longer a member of His Majesty's cabinet. You? Oh. Ah, forgive me the things I've said, Redwistle. My, my friend. I could not bear to think of you reduced to such ignominy, Man Mountain. At any moment, I expect to be accused of the big Indian heresy. Thus, His Majesty treats revolted ministers. I've come to warn you to make your escape. The company to shoot out your eyes is on its way. You must have come at great risk. Only my life. Ah, I'm deeply grateful to you. 
But then you, you must come with me. Now, in a hold tight, friend Redwistle, we must wade across the channel to Blefescue and safety. These blasted waves. You still there, Redwistle? Yes, fast to your collar. Look, Man Mountain. Look into the sea. A monster object floating in. Well, what? No, 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 no. Oh, thank heaven. No, it can't be. What, Man Mountain? It is. It is. It is the longboat. The longboat for my ship. Belly up, but floating. A boat as big as you. Amazing. A firm hold, Red Rizzle. A firm hold. I must set you ashore on Blefescue and swim out to the long boat before it clears the island. It is my escape, Red Rizzle. My clear way. Home to England. Truly, Providence watches over shipwrecked mariners. For it was indeed the badly battered shell of a ship's longboat that I dragged ashore on Blefescue. I set sail on the 24th of September, 1701, at six in the morning, and within a week I described a sail. The vessel was an English merchantman returning from Japan. The captain was very kind, although he treated me as though I were raving when I told my story. But it was not long before I landed in England and hurried to Redriff and to Mary, my wife. I stayed but two months with my wife and family, for off I must go on another voyage. So, with tears on both sides, I went on board the brig Adventure, bound for Surat. But my account of this voyage must be referred to the second part of my travels, for thus endeth the first part of the travels of Lemuel Gulliver. set adrift without water. You will not be so fierce with the sun beating down on you and your insolent tongue black and cracking with thirst. Cast him adrift! For two days I drifted in the sea, suffering much from thirst and exposure. When at length I was cast ashore on a rocky island, there I spent the night, and in the morning I commenced to search for food. Presently I noticed that a dark cloud had come between me and the sun, and I was astounded to see that this cloud was in reality a vast mountain sailing through the air, giving off a loud humming. This island hovered over me at the height of about 200 feet. And presently, uh, a chair was let down on ropes and pulleys. And seating myself in it, I was drawn rapidly upward. Oh, 
Welcome. Welcome, stranger, to the flying island of Laputa. By your clothing and the regular geometrical pattern of your hat, I assume you to be a creature of intellectual and philosophical attainment. Therefore, welcome. But, but, sir, where am I? How does this island float so? This is the capital of the kingdom, Laputa. Our island hovers through the agency of a giant lodestone. Thus, our glorious philosopher king controls his dominion. How so? If any town below should enter in a rebellion, his majesty has merely to hover above it. The unruly subjects below are deprived of sun and rain, and presently they must sicken and die. Or we pelt them with great stones, and then they must creep into cellars and caves to live. Truly a monstrous engine. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, come along now, stranger, to my home. As we go, I shall ask you diverting questions of mathematical and philosophical import. I am most grateful, sir. Oh, uh, permit me, stranger. This is the king's philosopher, Beldando. Oh. Tell me, stranger, how would you square a circle? Well, I'm afraid that I... How would you exactly trisect an angle? Well, Well, that would require a logarithmic scale. No, 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 no. It is a prime of the inverse Mm. of the root. Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. I insist it is the dividend of the summation of the prime. Uh, Uh, Gentlemen, gentlemen, please, I beg of you, you are walking in a puddle. Uh, What? What? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Well, no matter. No matter? But your feet are wet. Uh, You see, stranger, we Laputans consider philosophic and intellectual exercise the prime pleasure. We cannot be bothered with mere reality, the puddles. Oh, I see. What? Look out, look out, look out! That building is falling! Another one. That suggests an interesting philosophical analogue. But, uh, but no wonder it collapsed. Look, look at those buildings. Not a right angle among them. Everything's tied at irregular angles. A right angle is such a simple concept. Remember, stranger, we of Laputa are men of intellect. <laughs> And so they were, men of intellect. They are experts in the theoretical sciences, mathematics, music, astronomy, but for practical applications they have only contempt. Their nobles become so lost in thought that a strange custom prevails among them. With us, as we walked, was a servant armed with an inflated bladder on a stick. With this, he kept the conversation going in this wise. The concept of the absolute of good is mathematically demonstrable. Is it not, Beldando? The, uh, the servant flapped his weapon against the ear of Beldando to signify he was to listen. Eh? Hmm? What? Then he flapped his flapper against the philosopher's mouth to signify... Fellow sympathy. Sir. Oh! Oh! Yes, quite so. Quite so. You see, these sages, when immersed in speculation, and the servant with the flapper is necessary to recall this to them. Occasionally, the servant flaps his master upon his eyes to remind him to look, for otherwise, these great scientists would run into every post along the way and trip over every bucket. Uh, at this point, a loss of more than extraordinary charm chanced by, and I, uh, <laughs> I turned to gaze after her. Come, come, stranger. What are you staring at? Yonder lass. Hang it, old man. She's she's uncommonly well set up. You think so? A servant, my spectacles. Huh. Yeah, yes. 
Her nose appears to be a perfect isosceles triangle. A triangle? I detect no imperfection in the ellipses of her eyes. However, her trunk, I'm afraid, departs notably from the shape of the perfect trapezoid. Ah, oh, yes. There are definite irregular obloid characteristics. And her calves conform to no geometric figure with which I am familiar. Now, friend, were we not talking of the diminished seventh harmonic in the tonic scale? <laughs> In the months I spent on the flying island of Laputa, I was constantly amazed that more people did not tumble over the edge. For these great thinkers are so enthralled in cerebral speculation that they never watch ahead as they walk. However, I discovered that the greatest thinkers of all were shut away in an institution called the Grand Academy of Projectors. And thither I turned my steps to gain knowledge and understanding. Your pass... Present your pass. Oh, where do I find the philosophers at work? 331 paces down that corridor. Apply at the window for a map, a chronometer, pedometer, and sextant. This is our first project, the Institute for Human Betterment. We're at present engaged in a project to transform ice into gunpowder. Ice into gunpowder. Amazing. But why? We haven't discovered the benefit yet, but it will inevitably turn up. Oh, on your right, we're building the model of a process for beginning all buildings at the top and working down. But to what purpose? Human betterment, of course. Oh, yes. The workers, having completed the top floor are shielded from the sun and rain while completing the remainder. But isn't this, uh, isn't this method of building a little uh, hazardous? Well, we have had trouble with the top floor coming down on the workers' heads. But take this model. Look at it. Steady as the earth itself. <laughs> Don't be alarmed. We'll use this model anyway. And our medical staff shall work out a new method of curing cracked skulls. Well, friend Gulliver, what do you think of our civilization of science and intellect? I, I'm impressed, noble lord, but I am puzzled. How so, Gulliver? Well, I, I admit that I'm a simple man, a plain sea captain. I don't know the theory of advanced mathematics and harmony. Yes. But I have been forced to the conclusion that in spite of all your theoretical discussions of human betterment, your people still live in misery. Their houses are in ruins. They are without food and clothing in their faces. I, I see naught but despair. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, our interest does not lie in the gross, vulgar handicrafts and arts. Our best philosophers tell us that when the land is ruled by the greatest, deepest, most abstract thinkers, misery is bound to perish. This can be mathematically proven. <laughs> and you can't argue with mathematics. <laughs> My restless nature did not allow me to remain longer among the Laputans. I came away before I had witnessed the triumph of pure reason and abstract philosophy over human misery. 
I shipped aboard a small trading vessel to Japan, where I caught an East Indiaman returning to England, Redriff and my beloved wife, Mary. The seafarer on land is a sorry creature, straining at every passing wind and longing for the feel of the heaving deck beneath his feet. So it was not five months later that I shipped out for what was to be my my last voyage, and to that part of the world which is most likely to tax my listeners' credulity. It happened that in a tropic storm I... Uh, I was washed overboard by a prodigious wave and carried by the waves to the shore of a tropic island that lay to the west. In search of water, I came across the tracks of what seemed to be barefoot savages, mingled with the tracks of horses. Then suddenly I, I was attacked. My attackers' heads and breasts were covered with thick hair. They had beards like goats and a long ridge of hair down their backs. They walked on two legs and bounded about most agilely. Altogether, they were the most unpleasant, foul-smelling, evil-visaged animals I have ever encountered. Off me! Off me, filthy beast! Away! Away! <laughs> The devil! A horse! A horse, and he scared them off. Here, here's a fine fellow. Come, boy, come. Come, fellow, here. Ah, there. There's a fine horse. Whom have we here? Who are you, strange Yahoo? What? What it is? It's the horse. He, he, he speaks. An answer, Yahoo. I, I am a shipwrecked sailor, sir. I know not those words. You're a strange Yahoo indeed. Your body is covered, and you speak intelligently. That is indeed a wonder. I, sir, am not a Yahoo. I don't even know what that is. Those beasts that attacked you, the filthy creatures that walk on two legs, they are Yahoo. But my name is Lemuel Gulliver. I'm, I'm a man, sir, a man. You're a Yahoo. And yet I've not seen one like you before. Come. Come along with me. This, this is impossible. This is, you're, you're a horse. I am a Winnem. This is Winnemland. Come now, Yahoo, faster. I'm sorry, I, I can't, I, I, well now, perhaps if I could ride you. What? Uh, if I might mount your back, I. <laughs> Strange creature, in Winnemland, the Yahoos are the beasts of burden, and we the masters. Horses? Masters over... Over men? Wow, how horrible. Horrible, strange Yahoo? Why so? I know the Yahoos well. I own a large herd of them. They are the most odious of all animals. But I'm not speaking of these foul, degraded beasts. I speak of men in Europe. <laughs> they keep the horses as beasts of burden. You... You speak a thing that is not so. You mean I lie? We have no such word in our language. No, Wenham would say what is not so. Well, then what would be the purpose of talking? No, no. Yahoos can never rule. They are too vicious, foul, and evil-minded. Mm. 
My master, the Wynnum, a beautiful black stallion, took me to his home. It was a rough building, for the Wynnums know not the use of iron. There his family greeted me. His wife, a sorrel mare of gentle and dignified feature, showed me to my stall. Here, strange Yahoo, this is your stall. Endeavor to keep it clean. Thank you, mistress. It may be lonely for you away from the herd. Herd? Of yahoos? Oh, no, no, mistress, no. Pray, do not think of me as one of that foul race. You are different, cleaner and more gentle. <laughs> where, uh, where do they come from, mistress? Have you always known the yahoos? Why, some say they sprung to life from slime, much warmed by the sun. For only so could one account for the degraded disposition and habits of this two-legged race. But in my land there are, yeah, uh, uh, men also. That is the other story Winnems tell. That long years ago, two yahoos swam ashore from across the sea, and their offspring were tamed, as much as such a vicious animal can be. <laughs> My master continually addressed me as a yahoo, and when I begged him to desist, he caused a full-grown male yahoo to be driven into the courtyard, and he ordered me to strip to the waist. Then my master walked slowly round the pair of us. You are the same race, strange yahoo. See? The same limbs, eyes, mouth, body. Drive this beast back to his kennel. Well, strange Yahoo, can you still deny your race? But, Master, I tell you I have nothing in common with these creatures. I, I am a man, sir, an Englishman. An Englishman? Tell me of this country where the Yahoos rule. Well, I, I... Miss Sina, how can I tell you of the benefits of civilization? Well, we have magnificent castles, gorgeous clothing, the noblest, most costly meats and drinks. Our ships go to the ends of the earth to bring these luxuries back uh, for the wealthy. Wealthy? What is wealthy? Wealthy. Well, that means a man who can command all these luxuries and, uh, and leave them to his children. These good things of your civilization, uh, they are not... Given to all? Oh, no, by all means, no. Then not every Yahoo enjoys them. Not one in a thousand. The bulk of our people, well, they simply labor for small wages. They must live in hovels and squalor and spend their lives in their own filth. Ah, yes, yes, strange one. That is the way of Yahoos. A Yahoo is an odious, vicious beast. Around the world. During the days I stayed with the Winnings, I could never make my master grasp the difference between the men of Europe and his own bestial herd of yahoos. Again and again he pressed me to explain the wars of my native country. I told him that sometimes one prince does quarrel with another for fear that the other should quarrel with him. Sometimes a war is entered on because the enemy is too strong, and sometimes because he is too weak. My, my master reported our conversation to the Parliament of Winnings, and they did memorialize him to send me away. Nay, strange Yahoo, 
I shall keep you with me a while longer. But, but, Master, if the Parliament has ordered We you... know not ordered in this land, Yahoo. The decision of the Parliament is for the good of the nation, and no other force is needed. Is it different in your land, Yahoo? <laughs> Indeed. In Europe, there is a race of men who live by enforcing the rule of the government upon the people. How else do Yahoos live in your land, strange one? Well, there are the recognized professions, of course, like, uh, like doctoring. Doctoring? Another strange word. You see, it is a part of our civilization that we eat when we are not hungry, drink without provocation of thirst, sit whole nights imbibing strong liquors. Most extraordinary. All of which, of course, disposes us to sloth, inflames our bodies, and prevents digestion. Incredible. Oh, no, 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 no. It works out very well. If civilized man conducted himself sensibly, then there would be no, no, no work for our doctors. And how, then, would they live? Peace, Yahoo. Peace. Each tale you tell me of this vicious kennel of savage Europe, this wallow of Yahoo vice, convinces me there is no hope for your pitiable two-legged race. Master, you are displeased with me. For the Yahoos in my field, the wild naked breed, I've always felt a kind of pity. Pity? For those gross brutes? For their ignorance, strange one. But the Yahoos of your country, your England, they pretend to reason. Indeed we do. Reason, Yahoo? Nay. You are possessed only of some quality fitted to increase your natural vices. Just as the reflection from a troubled stream returns the image of an ill-shapen body, not only larger, but more distorted. No, no, Master, you're unfair. No, Yahoo. For all your talk of civilization, you have never mentioned the words that we Winhams prize most deeply. Peace, justice, and happiness. Peace, justice, happiness. <laughs> I must, uh, we men, nay, we yahoos of Europe, know nothing of these. But in time, dwelling amongst the Winims, I was to learn something of peace and happiness. Here in this land was neither backbiter, pickpocket, buffoon, politician, bawd, procurer. Here was no dungeon or gibbet, whipping post or pillory, no pride, vanity or affectation, no bullies, drunkards, scoundrels, lords, fiddlers, judges, no ranting or expensive wives, in short, no vice, no injustice, only peace. You have lived with us many moons now, Yahoo. And happy, Master. Happier than ever I have been. I have just come from the Parliament of the Winhams. No, Master, no, 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 no. Don't tell me, don't tell me the decision I... I know now that you Winhams alone, of all the creatures on this earth, have mastered the art of living. You do us honor, Yahoo. You must show the race of Yahoos, my fellows. We, we must live as you do. Brute beasts live with reason. Two-legged, odious savages learn the rule of nature. I know, I know, I know, but hear me, Master. Far from the east has come a certain powder 
which will fly up into the air with a noise greater than thunder, gunpowder. But might that not prove destructive? Exactly. It will tear through armor, topple houses and battlements, lay waste cities, dash out the brains of all who are near. Stop! Stop, Yahoo! Tell me no more! Hear me out, Master. Hear me out. I, I know the ingredients of this powder. I understand the compounding of it. I could teach it to you. To me? What would I want with such dreadful knowledge? With sufficient quantities of this powder, your people, Winims, horses, could teach the world of Yahoo's the secret of a just life. Silence, Yahoo. I would rather lose my life a thousand times over than be privy to your dreadful secret. Master, I meant no harm. Yahoo, I shrink from you in disgust and fear. Your race is corrupt, debased. You will leave this land. No, no, no. Mercy, Master, mercy. You will leave this land and return to that race of evil creatures, the Yahoos that you call men. I was allowed the space of two months to build a boat, and no winner must suffer to address me in any way. My heart was heavier than I'd ever known it, and I was filled with a great shame and disgust for my own kind. Then, on the morning of my departure, my master and mistress came to the shore to see me leave. We have come to bid you goodbye, strange Yahoo. And safe voyage. Master, mistress. You are but a Yahoo. You know no better. We pity you. But is there no hope for our race? Are we yahoos to live forever in savagery and vice? This powder you speak of may be your salvation, strange one. There is but one end for you. Yahoo against yahoo, you will destroy yourself. Master, is that the only end? Away, strange one. Into the sea. Goodbye, my master, my mistress. Goodbye. 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 Take care, gentle Yahoo. Goodbye. I sailed in my makeshift craft, I know not where, until at length I was picked up by a Spanish merchantman captained by Pedro de Mendez, a man of great patience and great understanding. For in the condition he found me, I was in need of both. Here, hold him. Hold him tight. Hands off. Hands off. Hands off. Hands off, foul, stinking yahoos. Scum, beast. Come, senor. Gulliver, peace. Peace. You are rescued now. You are among civilized men. Civilized? Why say you, man? Civilized? You are all yahoos. Filthy, crawling, unreasoned beasts. Yahoos. Yahoos all. I do not know this word, senor Gulliver. Yahoos. Let me be. Let me be, I tell you. Do you think I wish to return to those swamps of Yahoo cities? Those kennels piled high with Yahoo dirt and filth? Let me go. Let me go. Sooner I'd cast myself into the sea. Yes, yes, of course, Senor Gulliver, of course. Hold him tighter, man, el pobrecito loco. He is crazy. Yahoo's! Yahoo's! Hold him Yahoo's! Yahoo's indeed peace, Senor Gulliver. At last you are among men. <laughs> And so, I am back in England, 
Yahoo land. I've retired to my farm at Red Reef where I hope to spend my declining years in solitude. For the sight, the smell of the Yahoos of the land of my birth have filled me with a loathing and revulsion I cannot disguise. I see my own race as petty, wild, treacherous Yahoos, and I would not traffic with them. Uh, perhaps I may teach the lessons I learned from my master, the Winim, but knowing the nature of my fellow Yahoos, I can but hope for success. And as for this, the journal of my travels, read it, my fellows, read it well. Some will pass it by as a fantasy of travel, a storybook for the idle. But for others, it will be as it is for me, the plain, unvarnished truth. And thus endeth the travels of Lemuel Gulliver. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.